Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with saxophonist, flautist, percussionist, singer, and teacher, Jim Mayer. Born and raised in Canada, these days he is the professor of music and the director of instrumental music and jazz studies at the Kansas City, Kansas Community College, along with so much more. He graduated from the University of Mary in Bismarck, North Dakota, with a bachelor's degree in music, and the University of Missouri at Kansas City Conservatory of Music with a master's degree. So in addition to performing, recording, and teaching in Idaho from 95 to 99, he had a radio show called Table Down Front. It broadcast around the Northwest on NPR affiliates. He is always busy and has been a key in the KC jazz scene. He was the lead in the formation and implementation of the Kansas City Jazz Orchestra, the KC Jazz Alliance, which promotes the 17th annual Kansas City Jazz Camp and the popular Jazz by the Lake concert series, first Thursdays from noon to one during the school year at Kansas City, Kansas Community College. Jim is busy. He's very important. So get to know him and dig this interview, my friends. So, Jim, thanks for taking a minute out. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Likewise. Let's go ahead and start in right here, and I want to ask up front, do you have any projects, any CDs, any music that's on the horizon to come out? Well, I've got a little bit of grant money left for a project. i just got to come up with the right concept that makes sense. We're kind of in between mediums right now, you know, CDs and vinyl and digital downloads. So I'm just kind of waiting. Other than that, uh, not really. I've got quite a few original tunes I've made. Right on. So let me go ahead and leap into the beginning of your life from the very ever-present to the beginning of your life. You were born in Saskatchewan, Canada, raised in Winnipeg. Talk to me about your childhood in Canada and how you got – I know music's a much bigger deal than sports and other recreational activities in, in America, but talk to me about how you got into music and, more specifically, jazz. Our uh, junior high band director was a jazz trumpet player. He played for us all the time. And that was pretty inspiring. We started our own combo almost before we knew the fingering up was done. like an after-school group. And it's interesting because uh, the principal of the school would say, "Yeah, just you guys just make sure the school's locked up when you leave." And they'd leave us in in the band room to practice and rehearse. Us and the janitor. From there, I went to a high school known for its jazz and, and music program out of the district, and so it had an award-winning jazz band, you know, perennial, really high quality, so I went to that school with other like-minded high school students, just really got into that, I discovered the Count Basie Orchestra, and didn't think twice about selling out $15 for a Basie album when I would get a paycheck, I always had you know, a part-time job going as a sixth grade. Basically, had a job of some kind to generate income. So I would buy uh, Count Basie records up in Canada, Rob McConnell on the Boss Brass, and then from there I found music by Scott Hamilton, and then I got me thinking about you know, Jimmy Forrest and Hester Gordon and all that stuff. So you leave high school. And you move on to college. You go to the University of Mary in Bismarck, North Dakota. You get a Bachelor of Science degree. And then you go to UMKC and get a Master's degree. Talk to me about those two unique higher educational experiences as they relate not only to you being a college 
feature right now, but just in general on your growth as a musician? Well, I always knew I wanted to teach, and I also believe in self-reliance. So I'm going to get the kid degree in Bismarck, which is a pretty good jazz thing. But, you know, everybody reads out of the textbook there, which is fine. When I graduated, my teacher, Scott Krebis, who was one of my mentors, he's a uh, NPR radio host and jazz aficionado, he suggested I move to a city that had a scene. And I knew that Chicago and some of those cities were maybe a little too big. I love Kansas City music. Through Count Basie, Count Basie, Kansas City was the perfect choice. I was lucky enough to get a teaching assistantship at UMKC, which covered all my tuition and made a stipend. So it really worked out well. The University of Mary is much more of a liberal arts institution where the conservatory is more more focused on from there, you go to the faculty of the College of Southern Idaho, and then you move on to the Charlie Parker Academy. Kind of talk to me about the early years of teaching and kind of your evolution to where you are today. Well, it's actually a little different. The uh, route is a little bit different than that. Um, while I was at UMKC, I was playing a lot of gigs and getting to know people and ended up teaching uh, at the Charlie Parker Academy woodwind lessons uh, in Kansas City. That would have been in between 80, 88 and 92. But I was a full-time musician at, in Kansas City from 90 to 95. Basically, started playing at the Phoenix piano bar a couple months after it opened and played there six days a week with Jim Whitford uh, for five years. So after about, and I also had my own group uh, with Everett Devan. But after that, you know, I really did want to teach, and I was it was very competitive uh, finding academic jobs. And I was lucky enough through contacts I made teaching at various camps, like the International Music Camp, which I did for ten years. Uh, there was a job opening at the College of Southern Idaho, and I was lucky enough to get that job. It was community college and. Uh, it's an amazing experience, and it would probably would still be there right now if the job at Kansas City Kansas Community College uh, didn't open up in 1999. So we came back here because my wife Mary's family is from here. And of course, I have a lot of contacts here myself. So while you were in Idaho, you had a radio show called Table Down Front, and it was from 95 to 99. What was that like? Was Did you always want to be in broadcasting? You know, I know the music pretty well, and I, I really love the music, so it's something I was really good at. Uh, it was a great show. Uh, I really took a lot of care in programming that show. I made sure you know, I really knew the music. I didn't have to read liner notes that I could, I mean, they were there if I needed them. And I tried to really craft each week. It broadcast twice a week. I can't remember what on the FM and an AM station. But picking the right tunes at the, at the right keys so everything segued together real nice and made sense musically. And that, like, like I was going to say, kind of like preparing a multi-course meal. You know, the right uh, drink, the right appetizer, the right main course, the right salad, the right dessert. And so I, I really took the craftsmanship of putting a radio program together very seriously. The concept of the show was 
when you're listening, you're sitting at a table right down front. Do you have any desire to get back into it? Was it something that really left such an impression you'd like to do it again? I wouldn't be opposed to it. You know, I got paid for it. That's a big difference uh, than volunteering. The other thing is you get access to a lot. I was getting, at that time, I was also a CD reviewer for the Saxophone Journal. I was getting about 20 or 30 CDs a week in the mail. And so you really got to know what, what was out there, good and bad. And uh, anyways, to answer your question, I wouldn't be opposed to that. The thing is, uh, you're wearing headphones all the time. It's really hard on your hearing. So that, that's kind of that's something I have to be thinking about. So let me ask you this. Talk to me about how you started out at KCK Community College and how you've gotten to a point where you've really built up quite a, a cloud and quite a program there. Talk to me about the history and how you've gotten to where you're at. In 1999, uh, Marvin Cooper, who was my predecessor, he retired. He built up quite a program himself. He was kind of a legend. Bobby Watson went to Kansas City, Kansas Community College. Uh, John Kashan went there. Mike Warren. Lisa Henry. There's always been a really good music program there. So I've got to give a lot of the credit to Marvin Cooper on that. One of the toughest parts about community college is recruiting. Uh, students aren't exactly breaking down the doors to get in. So we have to create, or I've always felt it was important to, to create events that brought kids on campus and that reflected well on, on the uh, college itself. We have a great adjunct faculty of well-respected musicians. Uh, we have a week-long jazz festival, which people say is you know, a wonderful event. And all the details, the T's and the cross, Eyes are dotted, great sound, lighting, you know, that kind of thing. We have a really good scholarship program. We have a, uh, a NCR audio engineering program under Dr. Ian Corbett just won the Downbeat Award as one for Best Engineered Studio Recording. Now, last year they won uh, Best Live Engineered Recording. So we're getting those national and international accolades be kind of through the back door, if you will. We always have a lot of foreign students. I've got a killer bass player from Cameroon right now. We've had students from Russia, Germany, Turkey, uh, Korea, you know, all kinds of places. So, you know, what we try to do, from year to year, the band is good. But we try to make sure everything else we do is also as good or even higher quality. Well, let's talk about some things that have happened over time here in Kansas City, and one of those is the formation and implementation of the Kansas City Jazz Orchestra. Talk to me about that. That was really an important part of the city. Before the Kansas City Jazz Orchestra, they had a, the same organization in Fargo, North Dakota. They had, you know, in Seattle and New Orleans and Columbus and but we never had them in one in Kansas City, and one of the things it's very difficult to get things done in Kansas City because of the state line and just a lot of people with a lot of different interests. So, anyways, um, I wanted to form a group that where the musicians were paid well for rehearsals and concerts, where the music was presented in a listening setting. It's a subscription concert series, you know, where the music was presented in a much like symphony orchestra. The concept was 
that the Kansas City Jazz Orchestra would be one of the jewels on the crown that includes the symphony, the ballet, the opera. We start, Mary, my wife and I, we uh, we produced a lot of events over the years, including in Idaho. We produced several that uh, were really successful. But uh, I had a community jazz band at KCK, and I uh, had some really good players in that group. And I had, uh, a lawyer friend of mine, Gene Hall, was a piano player in that group. And I pitched the idea to him, but he thought it was a great idea and wanted to be involved. And then, you know, I asked my favorite sax player, my favorite trumpet, my favorite trombone, who would be your dream section that you would love to play with? And they basically named those people. And we started the organization. It's a nonprofit corporation, 501c3. And uh, we started presenting concerts in 2003. Uh, we built it up to, I think, 450 season ticket holders and $250,000 in the bank. And then we realized that our kids were growing up. My son is sitting here next to me. Uh, our kids were growing up too fast, and we were missing out because we were you know, engaged in that process. We were running the organization out of our house, so it was time to pass it on to fresh fresh ideas and people that had the time uh, to devote to it that really it needed. So another thing that's been very kind of hallmark about what you've done at your time at KCK Community College is that series, First Thursdays by the Lake. Uh, I've been to those, and they're impressive. How did this start? How do you feel about its progress through the years? Oh, we're lucky. We have some corporate support now, so it keeps us on a little more secure footing. It's, uh, we just we run that concert series just during the school year. It's for our community. It's for anybody, really, but uh, you know, it's kind of an event for our community. People get dressed up and come to it, you know, like a Sunday church type of thing. We have a free lunch with that for them. It's kind of a light lunch. And it's just all about the music and up close and personal, like a living room concert. We have a small budget for the musicians. Uh, our budget is $500 for that. So, you know, if you want to bring a trio in or a quartet, you can make 125 bucks. You know, it's from 12 to 1. It's in the middle of the day. We're going to also getting some groups that are traveling through Kansas City who, instead of sitting around in a hotel room, they can come and play an extra gig and make money for a hotel. So uh, it's, the way it's set up right now is working, and hopefully we can just keep that going. I don't think we'll expand or uh, just take, take it to the next level, so it's making just want to sustain it. All of those concerts are recorded and broadcast on the Internet, and uh, it's real nice. So let me ask you this. Why do you love jazz? The thing that's interesting about jazz music is you can listen to it, a piece of music a thousand times and still hear new things and new insight in it. Like my son has recently discovered the Count Basie Orchestra in the last couple of years. The tunes that I've been listening to, you know, for 30 years, I'm, he's picking out details and I'm hearing details I never noticed before, including wrong notes. The more you listen to it, the greater insight you get. So I like that. I love the, I love the fact that music can Jazz music touches your soul. I think it's become 
a little bit too much of an intellectual exercise these days. One of the things I talk to my students about is you've got to connect with people and you bring them in on an emotional level. Don't play for musicians. Play for common people. Tim Whitmer used to say when we played at the Phoenix, we played from five to nine. He said, we play five to nine for people that work nine to five. So they're yeah. coming in to wash away, as our blitz would say, wash away the dust on the shoes. Connect with the people on an emotional level if possible. That's the essence of Kansas City Jazz, that, that human connection. And it wasn't an intellectual exercise. There was there was guys trying to outplay each other, but it was in the spirit of bringing in the audience as well, engaging the audience so that they could relate. So, Jim, let's get to the essence of you. Everyone has a version of you, your family, your friends, your students, but you're running your ship. So tell me, who do you think you are? Uh, a happy person and uh, hopefully a good dad and a good husband. That's good. Jim, thank you for taking a minute out to talk to me about your program, your history in jazz, and thank you for your contribution to the Kansas City scene. It's very evident and very prevalent. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate your interest. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Canada, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Jim for his time, his music, his instruction, and his cool. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store, visit NeonJazz at YouTube.com, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the NeonJazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.